0: Hi everyone, I am Catherine Druckmann. Joining me as always is Doc Searles. Hey there. And today we're talking again to our, one of our favorite uh, guests slash co-hosts in a pinch, Petros Katupis. And today we've been talking a little bit about how in the modern online world and, and in, the, in the tech world that we all sort of work in, we we find ourselves increasingly giving up freedom for convenience and, and, and all of that, all that that entails, really. Um, Doc, why don't you maybe elaborate? Yeah, on? yeah
1: This is just basically a, a way of moving on to the podcast, the conversations we were having elsewhere uh, in text and in, uh, in, in voice and person, which is that there's, we have less and less personal control over our tech. I mean, it is, it isn't just that, Hey, we're living, we're talking more and more on platforms. It's that, for example, if you want to run your own mail server, if you want to run your own website, if you want to run your own, um, email list, uh, if you, you know, want to store stuff, um, you're dealing more and more with services and clouds. Uh, I mean, for example, with, with email, uh, um, I ran, you know, Searles.com was a mail server that uh, if you wrote to doc at Searles.com, which is my email address, you, you were going to a mail server at a uh, server on a rack. Um, the The server in a rack was at Rackspace, but Rackspace was kind of like the the apartment building where I had a an actual, you know, server of my own. I mean, I had, it was owned by me uh it was in their space they would service it i could call them up and get service on it but it was my server um uh, i gave up on that when it was just way too hard for me using spam assassin to keep doing that and now searles.com is in a rack space in a Rackspace cloud which has, by the way, been rock solid except for a couple hours yesterday when it was utterly down. <laughs> and, and I thought the problem was something else. Uh, but for the most part, it's been pretty reliable. In a, in a, but there are other ways that this has happened as well. I mean, we've talked before about this, but it bears repeating that more and more of, of installing Linux, for example, and working with Linux is that you're working in Kubernetes and you're, you've, got a, you've got a whole um, container that has Linux at the bottom of it, but you're working at the top of it, and it's a whole thing that you're on top of, and um, and there's less of you running your thing there, and whether you are a an individual or a company, and so that's that's all part of it too. So so you know, it just sort of raised a whole lot of top uh, topical questions about how much personal control do we have anymore? What how do we you know? I mean, you know. Richard Stallman was famously said, you know, the cloud is other people's servers. You know, it's not yours anymore. Uh, but the temptation, the need, really to operate inside somebody's cloud is pretty high. Yeah. You know, in, in the case of email, you know, for me it was spam. You know, spam assassin wasn't good enough anymore. I I needed, I needed, you know, a better class of spam killing than than I had that way, and. Rackspace does it for a lot of people. It's, it's Gmail.
0: Yeah. I mean, so based on a lot of our conversations, you know, um, things like ad tracking and and whatnot, it's tempting to say, well, you know, to hell with Gmail you know, I don't want to use that anymore. Um, And of course there are so many alternatives, but, but nobody gets rid of spam better than, than Gmail. (laughs) And part of it is, you know, it's the the same, the same technology that's tracking us is what's um, giving them the data to uh, filter spam so well.
1: I I would say by the way that in my experience because I have both a Gmail account and my own Searles.com account and I also have an Apple one, a me slash dot mac com one or dot mac one mostly just so I can sort out less important mail into those other places and I, I kind of run them for experimental purposes and I actually think that Rackspace is the equal um, of uh, of Gmail, and it's quite possible Apple's better than either one, but I I don't know because I don't use that one very much. So they're probably I'm probably on fewer fewer attack lists for for mm-hmm. spam
0: right.
1: with those addresses. It, but it shouldn't be just limited
2: to um, you know email
1: uh, services.
2: I mean, it, there was a time back in the early 2000s, at least when I started. Uh, you know, setting up servers and setting up services on those servers and going back to Doc's original point was you had the equipment, you had access to the entire equipment, and you also had the burden of maintain, <clears throat> excuse me, maintaining that equipment, right? It's not just yeah. setting up the service, whether it's a web server, an email server, or anything else in between. You now have to Make sure that you update your packages. Get the latest, you know, right. you know, uh, patch code for for various applications, libraries, uh, demons, uh, kernel, you know, everything, just to, so you can continue to. Uh, and there are there are consequences if you don't. Now it it becomes, if, I don't know what happened, but it seems like in the last decade alone, it just seems more of a threat to not have your environment updated in the public space than it was, you know, decades ago. And I don't know if it's just me being naive, but there's a lot more visibility nowadays. And I seem to see it a lot more in my uh, open source uh, Linux uh, news feeds that the latest vulnerability has been discovered. You need to patch your code or your, 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 you know, your server mm-hmm. machine will be compromised. I just see this a lot more frequently. And, you know, fast forward to the present, though, and it's not the same. You're not setting up the same. You could still do it. You could still rent yeah. space at a data, at a data center, uh, put your own servers in there, or even, you know, rent your own physical machines, lease your own physical machines with a service provider and you could still do the same things or spin up virtual machines and do the same thing right yeah. but many folks are opting out of that they're not doing it anymore because of the hassle and the burden and these service providers such as AWS or Google or 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 you know Azure you know they're doing all that for you so you don't have to right, right? all they say is just use our service, just use our email service, just, you know, uh, plug your application into our container. Right. And now you don't have to worry about that anymore. So
1: so here's, here's an angle on that, which is that, I mean, I I think all of that's true. And I'm actually just remembering that when I started with Linux journal, I mean, I started really writing a lot for Linux journal in the late nineties. We had a, um, like about a hundred kilobit t- connection to the net. That was a dedicated one. It was, it was not ISDN. It was a, it was a, it was through a company called Concentric. That was our ISP. It was in Redwood city, California. And we had eight static IP addresses and I had two or three by, bo- I mean each box that we had was on its own IP address. And, we had a Linux server called Happy. It was a De- it was a Debian server and I would write stuff and put it on that and I would get pushed to Linux Journal headquarters in Seattle and then through our publishing system there. Uh, then when I moved to Santa Barbara, I set the same thing up, but this was over a T1 line, which is one and a half megabits, um, which seemed like an awful lot at the time. And there I had 16 static IP addresses and I had, you know, a tiny room with too many boxes in it that was way too hot. Uh, but um, but I had the sense of being in control. You know, this is my space. This is, I'm running this stuff. And as you pointed out, Petrus, it's almost unthinkable now, in part because there's so many ways. Of course, there were, the population of both good and bad actors on the net are, are infinite. and And it's easier for a commercial service to maintain what amounts to what we might even call security. It's just basically, it's going to be a lot more solid on somebody's cloud than it's going to be on a a virtual server on a cloud than it's going to be on your own. And so that, but, but in the physical world, it's kind of like where we went from the private little space that we had as pioneers living in the woods or on a dirt road, which is kind of what we, what I had in those old days um, straight to living inside corporate facilities and there's no public space. It's not like you're in a public space. Uh, and, and I'm thinking that, you know, it, in a way it's all toll roads, it's all rental. It's all, it's, it's the all commercial world without a public space in it. And maybe I'm not interpreting that right, but it feels that way to me. It's like your only choice is to, it's like, we never got to own our own cars. We're only renting, you know, we we can only rent. And that's even true with our, our domain names, right? I mean, I I Searles dot com. I've got it for ten years. Are my heirs going to keep that going? I don't know. Probably, maybe. You maybe. Must, not.
2: It seems like the opposite of the the phone industry. Um, when once upon a time you used to uh, lease your phone from the telephone company, right?
1: And, yeah. Uh,
2: there, at one point in time, that that changed, and um, it became. Uh, it, it was the opposite, where now you could buy your own phone, and, and the Bell companies, you know, were broken up, and things started becoming less monopolized. But I I, I seem to think that we're going in the opposite direction uh, in, yeah. in the tech world. We're now only- things are funneling down to a few key players, and you're essentially leasing your equipment from those few key players.
1: Right. I I, I brought my. <laughs> did almost dead iPhone. Uh, it's an iPhone seven The uh, battery was dead on and it's three years old. Um, maybe more. Um, I brought it into the Apple store and I got to say their diagnostics were unreal. They're really good. They, they, it, it said, I brought in an old iPad too. And you know, well, it actually had a bad camera and I didn't even know why I was getting weird results with the camera. I had a bad camera, I had a bad, um, battery uh but just over wi-fi they got all these diagnostics and it on one level the 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 old linux geeks in me it was creeped out by that on the other it was like really handy to have but one of the things we talked about with the service person there the geniuses you might say is is uh was that well you know look at the new ones and what they can do it's not so much what they could do it's that the best deal is actually just to rent them i mean you, you you just just go ahead and pay 40 bucks a month and you just turn this one in for the next one and the next one after that. And it's kind of like leasing a car, you know, or, and, or renting a car. You're just basically renting the damn thing. And, and it's moving to a subscription economy and we're subscription for everything now, you know, you're and not just your ISP, but your, um, uh, you know, your, all your entertainment is on, it is, is is essentially rented the, uh, a side effect of the, of the GDPR is that, you know, your uh, so many publishers now are going to basically, we're going to completely block your access to this until you pay, right? You're not getting a, you're not getting the Wall Street Journal anymore, or the New York Times or whatever, you know, the, or the Boston Globe or whatever it might be. Um, you know, the Atlantic is about to go, I read a behind a paywall, uh, And then, and that's basically it, which is, which is fine. That's their right. I mean, you know, the, the, but it, it, it turns the, it turns the web increasingly into a space where you're going to have to have subscriptions, separate subscriptions for all these different places that you'd like to go. Well, it's
2: funny that you bring up the entertainment industry. I mean, I just think of, you know, gone are the days when, when I'm buying DVDs and Blu-rays and, and uh, CDs yeah oh yeah no just i ask i ask friends hey did you listen to the new you know tool album and you know they they say yeah it's on spotify or yeah it's on amazon like you didn't buy it at least digitally i mean i i don't buy CDs anymore but you didn't buy this no it's on uh it's on spotify why would i why would i buy but just not having the ability to physically own it it's
1: You're right. I know the notion of owning them. And and that's another thing. I mean, I I look, I'm looking at my bookshelf here. It's the, you know, I've got a library here. It's a wall of books and I own those. I assume I own them. Right. Um, If I rent them, which is really what you're doing from Kindle, from Amazon, I can do much less with them than I can with, with these. And if and if they go out of business, they're not really rented. These you, you sort of own them, but you really just,
0: you, well, you can't, you, you can't have sell them of, to half price books.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got a bundle of rights that, but they're basically access rights. I mean, you're, you're accessing them in their cloud. You're duplicating them to your device in some cases, but for the most part it's in their cloud. And, um, I mean that you know the same is true with you know I mean you're you're using Spotify for example it's great um but you're in a subway or you're in some place where you go offline um you're driving through North Dakota or some other thing and it just goes away right you've you've lost that access and um and we kind of live by the grace of these cloud-based back, you know large back-end services that we Interact with in very different ways. The whole idea with the web, and underneath that, the internet, is that we have one simple protocol-based way to interact with lots and lots of different entities, including each other. But here, right, like for example, we're using Zoom. You know, the Zoom is different than Skype, is different than um, you know WebEx, and different than free conference call, and uh, there are different ways of recording on each of them they're going to record in different formats most of those are open in some way but um but we're kind of at the mercy of their very separate ways of interacting it's not like going into a shopping mall where you're using your own shoes and you're just walking through and you don't have to shop at any of these places and you know all the stores you're accessing don't require that you be a member before you go in Uh, They're not, there's no toll gates that that are at the, at the, at the counter or, you know, at at the entrance. Um, uh, It's, you know, it's kind of like the all, not only all subscription, but all different subscriptions, no single way that you can interact with all of them. So why do we
0: do all of this? I mean, you know, so so some of it's convenience, but Petros, you know, brought up a really good point about the music industry. So, you know, technology, the, the internet changed, fundamentally changed the way that the music industry did business, right? It used to be that musicians would tour to promote their album, their album sales were the, you know, the benchmark and, and, and that was it, right? And now, well, they said, well, they gave up trying to control the, the supply of, of the digital music files. And uh, so now the product is, the, is the tour and the concert and they cost a, a fortune. I, I don't go, I don't go to concerts anymore because they're insane. I, you know, I resent paying that much, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it fundamentally changed the world and it's not a convenience thing. It's a, it's a, they, they couldn't make money the old way anymore thing.
2: You know, um, I, I walk into a Best Buy every now and then. I mean, it doesn't happen often. But it seems like their, their media department, where all the CDs once were and, and the DVDs and Blu-rays, I mean, continues to shrink, as one would expect. And I, can, and I get upset because I lose the opportunity every holiday season to find new stocking stuffers
0: oh, no. for the
2: kids. <laughs> it's like, there are no DVDs. What kids' uh, shows or cartoons can I fill my children's stockings with? now? Yeah, I'm you joking. can't.
1: And, yeah. You know, here's
0: you have to go to half price books <laughs> for wait, the DVDs wait, wait. for rainy days when the internet is out.
1: Exactly. There's another thing with that. So, um, we we have in our uh, in our house um, a 1990 vintage top of the line Sony Trinitron TV, old fashioned TV, uh, and it. And with it is, is a bunch of shelves of DVDs and, and uh, VHS tapes for, for kids to just plug in one, of the, one or the other and watch these things that, that really that our 22-year-old son uh, watched when he was a little kid. You know, this is, you know, 15, 18 years ago. Um, but it's an interesting thing. When kids are over, it's kind of like, wow, we can go into this retro space and watch low def stuff. An interesting thing about DVDs is that they're NTSC video. This is basically 540 line, but if you subtract out, you know, the blanking lines above and below, it's really, it's really 640 by 480. That's what you're watching with a DVD, which is pretty low def, you know? I mean, it's high the highest quality low def, but it's low def. What we have there uh, in our house is um, Dish TV. Dish TV is satellite it's 1080i. It's not 1080p. Uh, they do have a, you know, some, um, 4k, a little bit of 4k, but the bandwidth isn't high enough coming down from the satellite for that. Um, the bandwidth coming off of cable isn't quite high enough for it. They're giving it you 11, 1080p. Um, but if you want 4k, that's extra. And really the best way to get 4k is just to get the internet service and, If you've got a fast enough connection, which we do, you know, if it's over like forty megabits, or I think you you can get 4K HDR. Um, uh, But you're going to get it from Amazon. You're going to get it from Netflix. In other words, those are the players. You know, an internet, a good internet connection, and those players are going to get you the the highest quality video for now. Um, Always, you, you can get it with less. I mean, so Spotify, you can get it with lower def. If it's lower with a lower bit rate. But again, you're, you're kind of dealing with this new generation of, of streaming services, you know, that, which is, which basically have a library and behind that light and you're basically subscribing to access to a library of good quality sound and high definition video that you don't own. (laughs) You own none of it really. Uh, And that's, that's kind of like the generation we're at right now. I don't, I wonder if there's even a generation beyond that that's you know but i don't know if it's one where you can own it i mean basically hollywood won i mean hollywood started out in 1995 looking at the net saying we need to bring the entire internet into rights clearance into into the lights rights clearance world everything is about clearing rights and so you know they'll do a deal with somebody big like an apple or a netflix or an amazon but they wouldn't do a deal with you and me, right? Why would they do that? You know, that's another reason why we, you know, clearing rights for podcasts, whether there's not much music on podcasts, podcasts are almost all small players. At some point, one of the podcast aggregators gets to be a big enough player so that they clear rights. You know, I think it's, I forget what it's called in the industry, but compulsory rights or something like that. But where, in, they become a Spotify, they become an apple, they become something like that where they can they can get blanket rights to all all the music in the uh, RIAA, or I don't know whos sanctioned it at this point library um but I yeah, don't know maybe, maybe not
2: the history buff in me um likes to look at how we got
1: here, obviously
2: you know we we started to see a trend you know with Napster in the late nineties. In early two thousands, but after Napster was, uh, taken to court, you know, the next, the next person or company to, you know, fight the fight was essentially Apple with iTunes. Yeah. At least, you know, as it relates to music and if it weren't for Steve jobs, you know, this whole digitized subscription model would not even be here or at least it wouldn't be here now. Or at least it wouldn't be here the way we know of it now. Um, But just to have lived through that progression is one thing. And I think about, you know, my kids growing up now, they don't know anything different. All they know is, you know, subscription based everything, which obviously they don't pay for. But uh, then it's just, they turn it on, they type it in a search, and it just sh- magically shows up yeah. and they can watch it or listen to it. Right. Right now, you know, I can guarantee they came home from school uh, about 45 minutes ago and they probably immediately ran through their iPods and started going on YouTube and they probably typed in something and started watching it or whatever channels they subscribe to. But to them media, you know, content is that, you know, their fingertips, but that's not how it always was. So they're not going to, you know, appreciate how we got here, but also at the same time, they're not going to know anything different. So going back to a time when you and I, you know, personally owned physical copies of stuff, it's not something that they can comprehend anymore.
0: So they don't miss ownership of their content or for that matter, ownership of, um, of their software. I mean, what proprietary, I don't even know. Is there proprietary software that isn't subscri- subscription based at this point? I don't even know. Um, or, or, well, I mean, web hosting is probably not an issue for them for a while, but, but they don't, they don't, they don't miss the world of, of, of having their own server or having their own, uh, you know, CD.
2: They don't know. Um,
0: so happens? which begs the question, you know, if they don't, you know, if they don't know it and they don't, Long for it. I mean, what is the inherent benefit of owning? I mean, to play devil's advocate, we we sort of reminisce about the good old days when we used to own our stuff. But you know, I wonder, I wonder in in some cases, what is the benefit and what what are we giving up exactly? I mean, I think we are giving up some things,
1: well, you're, giving you're, up you're, some
0: freedom. But I think maybe that's well, something we should should ponder a little.
1: I, I think what we give up is independence. You know yeah. the the and, and I suppose, in a, in a, in a, from one angle, you do have some independence in the sense that you don't have to have any of it. I am used it, and you're still independent, right? You're just not watching this stuff. I mean, we, we um, on Dish TV and the Dish Network, uh, they went and they got it. They had a dispute with um, with HBO, and we had HBO on that, uh, and the dispute persists. We lost HBO. We're no longer paying for HBO. They just basically are. Our cost dropped what twelve fifteen bucks something like that. Never got it back. We have not bothered to go direct with HBO. We were not um, Game of Thrones watchers. Uh, we missed John Oliver a little bit, but not that much. Uh, that was about it for us with HBO. Right? But didn't care. Uh, um, but uh, so so we could live without that and you know and quite frankly you know the I, I don't even know if we have a netflix account or whether our tv which is just a you know a set top box or maybe the apple tv thing we have hooked up to it one of them has a former guest and netflix or not I, I haven't kept track but there's this kind of fumbling way we we go through things but there's not you know that it, it's sort of like we're we're in gatekeeper world i guess as a way of looking at it you know that that to to have you know all of the, all of the devices i mean they're i mean even though linux is inside android almost every android device is basically a google device and and you're dealing with you're going in through the google door to whatever is on the other side and with an iphone you're going in through the apple door and if you get if you have a a tablet or a phone that is not one that comes from indirectly from Google or directly from Apple. You're dealt out of an awful lot of stuff. Uh, It's not there for you. Not the case with, with the web in the sense that most of what's on the web um, isn't behind a paywall is not inside some subscription space. But I I wonder whether, you know, where that's going to go because already this is something I've noticed in the last few days an awful lot of my own archival stuff, stuff that's on in older parts of Linux Journal, which, which is still up on the web, thank God, uh, or thank the, the fact that somebody's paying the bills, I guess, um, uh, we hope. Um, but even my own older, um, I hate to call it content, my older uh, blog posts and things, Google's not finding them. Bing is still finding them, but Google's not. Uh, what Google's looking at is now. Yeah. Um, uh, if you go, if you try to, I mean, take something that you know was you you wrote about eight years ago on Twitter and has a a unique letter string. Uh, I'll say, for example, Lerf from Sturtle, that's LRFMSTRDL. That's L-R-F-M-S-D-R-D-L. That's something I did. I I actually I can find that on Digime, which is an app that allows me to download through a Twitter API um, everything that I have ever posted on Twitter. Um, however, if I search in Twitter for that, I don't find it. Maybe that's just me. Maybe, I don't know what that is, but it's... it's just not
2: hashtagging enough.
1: Well, it's not just hashtag. <laughs> it's, it's that, it's that their search. And for that matter, Google search doesn't care about the past. It's all about now, you know, and so... And so, you know, and I I wrote several times in the history of Linux Journal about, starting in 03, about what one of my sons called the live web versus the static web. The static web is the one with sites, with domains and locations that you could browse. Um, And there was an assumption that when Google or anybody, any search engine crawled that, that they would maintain a kind of archive. Um, I don't think Google does that anymore. I think Google's looking for what, you know, he, he my, this son of mine, Alan, said that the live web is branching off of that, and the live web at that time was blogs. Um, but uh, you know, and Google would take—I don't. Nobody remembers this, but I mean, Google would take up to a month to find something on the web. I mean, just to to archive it, as it were. That's not the case anymore. You put something up on a blog, and it's it's found in, in ten minutes from now or less. So. And that's the live web, and but the live web is, is all about now. It's all. It's almost like newspapers and magazines were. You know, it's just they're disposable. You know, you get them, you look at them now, they go out with the recycling. Except now that it's not recycling anymore, it just goes to oblivion, uh, and that bothers me. You know, I mean, it's kind of like well, if it's not saved behind a paywall somewhere, it might as well not exist. That that. That's the weird thing, right? There's no faith that, I, I have very limited faith. I mean, I, I, have a, you know, I have three or four blogs and some of them are at Harvard. Um, and one reason I have them there, uh, the, the personal one I have there is I moved it there. I mean, I started blogging there instead of on my own. Um, I had been blogging on a platform that was deprecated it's, it's on the web now, but it's because one guy has decided to maintain the old software that made it possible. Uh, but what I've been blogging, where I've been blogging since 2007 is on a Harvard site that was at the Berkman Center. Now it's at Harvard itself. But I, I think at the moment that I lose a Harvard affiliation, which I have. It's a very thin one right now, but it's a real one. Um, uh, it could go away. And, and it's at Harvard's grace. And I, I wanted it there because it's an institution that's been there for since 1636, right? So I think, well, good chance that one's going to last. But is, it's by grace of a web server, I mean, of, of a, a webmaster there who could kill it in a, in a minute. And then it's gone. You know, uh,
2: it's funny that you mentioned that. I mean, there are times where i you know, in conversation with others, would try to Google maybe a, a software patch or a kernel patch that I would have submitted, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And just trying to find that patch on Google, it just, it's become um, quite the task. Yeah. Uh, it's there, it's archived somewhere on some mailing list somewhere, right? But trying to dig through Google to find it uh, gets harder and harder as the years go by.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's uh, um you know, there's a a um an Emily Dickinson poem. Uh the title is I mean, it's only like eight lines, but the um the title is A Root of Evanescence. And it's funny. I just looked it up, and I've I'd, I'd always thought of it as R O O T, but as R O U um, T E. I'm not going to recite it because we'll lose listeners. But uh, but my point though is that it its point is basically, you know, the, the world is itself is evanescent, and that's true. You know, there's nothing um, permanent about anything in the physical world, honestly. But the we would like, you know, that we created libraries to make things permanent, right? and or permanent enough but it's really not i mean even libraries are finite spaces i there's a, a terrific magazine called the sun um small magazine out of north carolina and i gave my and uh, i wrote i used to write for the sun and i gave my entire collection of the sun to the santa barbara uh library uh as a kind of gift, like, you know, this is a really good magazine. This is a really important one. Uh, I want you to have it because I don't have room for it here. And when I went back to check on it, they said, no, we don't have it. <laughs> oh, what happened? Oh, no, no. We, we I don't know what we did with that. It's gone. <laughs> I was like, well, shit. <laughs> that was, the idea was they give it to the library, right? Well, they have finite space. They didn't know it was worth anything. And it went away. I mean, this is there are people who pay good money for these old sons, but they're gone. That, that, that collection was gone and it included some one of a kinds. Uh, and I just assumed that I could go to the library and find it. And it would, I know they were mine. Right. In a similar way. I mean, this is, I mean, this is there echoes of the physical world. Right. And uh, remember microfiche, you know, you go to the library, <laughs> yes, and very okay, well. microfiche, yeah. which is horrible. And uh, you know, so, not, not um, the
0: most friendly user experience. <laughs> oh, horrible
1: user experience. I mean, it's basically as a photo of, of, your, of, of, a, of a magazine or a newspaper, right? And uh, the N- University of North Carolina uh, had bound volumes of the New York Times going back forever. I mean, big, fat things that stank of old newspaper and made the stacks in that library smell wonderful and old, right? Then they contributed enormously to it. And and you would get these things that were the size of a spread out New York Times. Uh, And, and it was a book and it was a book that was, and I'm using my hands here, but I mean, they were, I guess, you know, like 36 inches high by like 18 inches wide and about four or five or six inches thick and weighed a ton. I mean, they weighed as much as a bed. I mean, these things, and, and you would take them out and you would go to a period, you know, the, to the, reference libraries, something too big for us, your little carol in the stacks, right? And you would go through it and look at these things. And this is back in 1975, okay? They got rid of them. They gave them to recycling. There was a a friend of mine ran a a private recycling company. And their deal with him was, you're going to take these to the landfill, or you're going to take these to a rendering plant where they will be recycled. We're putting all this on microfilm or microfiche. And they, and of course they bought that from a subscription service. And, and if you look at those, um, well, two things happen. one is that guy did not throw them away. He ended up giving them away. I have three, I have three, like I have the one where Kennedy was shot in November of 63. I have that one and I have a couple of others that, that are in a, in storage in North Carolina. Um, and they're water damaged because there was a flood once and so they're a little bit water damaged, but they are readable. But the the rest he gave away and I think somebody managed to archive most. And it was massive. These things were physically large. But if you, went, I remember later, I went to the library in, at UNC and as best I recall anyway, this is still in the late 70s, you're looking at microfilm. It was a horrible interface and and the photographic copies of this were in basically... One bit monochrome. Like if you're looking at a photograph, it's a black and white blotch. It's terrible, absolutely terrible. And these you know, things are lost. You you remind me,
2: uh, you know, just uh, for instance, my father-in-law is uh, in the process of giving me his National Geographic collection that goes mm. all the way back to the '60s. Yeah, and. You know, what am I going to do with these uh, magazines? Yeah. I'm, I'm probably going to go through them and, and read the <coughs> issue, stand out the most uh, over the course of time. But I think of the actual content within. For instance, I used to subscribe to Archaeology Magazine. An archaeology magazine, you know, it's a bi monthly uh, subscription. You get an issue, you know, every two months. And you go to their website. And there's nothing, you know. There's a you know subscribe to the magazine latest news you know section, yeah. typical shell of a website. It it really doesn't have much of anything. And aside from the issues and whatever back issues you can hopefully get a hold of, all that content is gone. You as just a an interested general reader don't have access to that content once those back issues go away. And I think National Geographic is the same thing on their website, you know, except for what is the latest in news, and maybe whatever is being covered in the latest issues, try to look up something from 10 years ago. You won't find that. There's no archive there unless you have that physical Mm. copy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just I just looked up National Geographic uh, library and I, what I was hoping to find was, I mean, ideally, what you're being gifted exists in enough libraries already that they're available. You know, you can go to the New York Public Library or the Chicago Public Library and find them, or at least make a special request. You know, and then they'll go back into some person who's an employee of the library will go somewhere and pull one out and bring it out for you um, because it's too valuable maybe Uh, uh, but online um, not only does the National Geographic have it I'll take your word for that but not have it but uh, you know one of the results is you know there's a company called Gale that where they have the whole archive going from 1888 to 1994 and they have another Collections 1995 to current, Um, but they're subscriptions. They cost you, you know. Free trial. I don't know what it actually costs. Um, You know, or or what you're actually getting for this. But once again, it's one of those things where you're going to have to pay for it. And I don't know. Maybe I mean, maybe this is this is just how you know capitalism works, and it's not a bad thing. It's better than nothing, right? I mean, you. It's all gonna be behind a paywall somewhere. Some private company's gonna maintain the paywall. Uh, it's gonna have enough value to enough people that the paywall will pay off for the company going to the trouble of archiving this stuff. Um, and I don't know, maybe the internet archive itself turns into that, you know? You wanna see the archival internet?
2: That's what Google's doing, right? You know, uh, Google Books, you know, part of-
1: right. Yeah. Their
2: process is to go find these older books and they scan them in into yeah. the PDF form yeah. where you can, you know, read something that was published a hundred years ago or even 40 years ago, right? Yeah.
1: And, and I've found those is you know, as a kind of, you know, wearing my academic hat as a scholar, um, which I have been ironically called, uh, not fully ironically, but partially because I'm not really i kind of play one but 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 if i want to be you know play the scholar role um and i'm not you know employed by a university which generally gets you those privileges you know you can get into the um stacks as it were the virtual stacks um uh it's it's a it's a it's expensive it's too expensive google books is too expensive you know i if i look for something on google books i can you know, I, I find it and it, and it's like, well, if I have to buy this, uh, that's going to cost me. Um, I haven't, I'm trying to think of an example right now. I can, I can click on a keyboard and find, uh, but I'm not going to do that. But um, one that surprised me is the broadcasting yearbook. Um, I used to be, you know, a broad, I still am a broadcasting freak. It's, it's, it, but well, here broad, we are. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah. This is the new broadcasting, but there was a, a, a an annual yearbook like from the 30s until just a few years ago that was a... It was kind of the Yellow Pages, but a lot of people don't even know what Yellow Pages are at this point. But the, it was basically a catalog of all of the radio and TV stations in the U.S. And, and I think Mexico, too. Maybe at Mexico and Canada. Maybe North America. But anyway, it was called uh, the Broadcasting Yearbook. And later it was called the Broadcasting and Cable Yearbook. And it was about two inches thick. And... Uh, and it was very comprehensive. It would have the names of of the top people at every radio station you know here's the name of the station manager, and the program director, and the music director and and uh, you know and and here's their address, their physical address um, you know would say uh, you know uh, here's Wmca they're on five seventy in New York City they're owned by uh, the Strauss Broadcasting Group. They're at 415 Madison Avenue. Um, uh, The program director of so-and-so was uh, Ruth Meyer. I'm going just from memory here. Um, And uh, you know, the station manager was so-and-so and, and and it was 5,000 Watts, you know, day and night. And that was, that was enough information for you, you know, to know what it was. And, and those are online. The whole things, PDFs of those entire things are online and and available and they have been useful to me. I mean, not too professionally, it's mostly to talk with fellow broadcasting geeks about, but I could go back and look and see, like I confirmed in fact that the once most powerful FM station in the country was WMIT on the top of Mount Mitchell, which is the highest point east of the Mississippi and North Carolina it was 300 and some thousand Watts and, um, and it reached eight states and they lost that grandfather status, but they're still huge. Uh, and they're still up there. I happened to be at Mount Mitchell a few weeks ago and, and I, I wanted to look that up and see what it was. Well, sure enough, I could look in the old broadcasting yearbooks. I could see there it was. Yeah, it was that big, you know, and then they lost it somehow. But, um, but that was a fact I could find that fact, you know, and that was cool. That was good to know. Uh, but you know i mean google i think is drifting from its you know original mission of you know all the world's information you know all the world's knowledge at your fingertips not not exactly you know it's like we're we're looking at what's going on now so we can advertise at it and then there's we've got you know a bunch of different services that'll help you find some stuff but
0: yeah and that sort of thing fortunately google does not have a monopoly you know there are so many great that's right. Um, collections yeah. of online archives. You know, when I was in grad school, I spent, I don't know, a week at this newspaper library. There's a library with that holds, you know, hundreds of years of newspaper archives outside of London. Long story, I was researching British, early 19th century British chinoiserie design. Anyway, <laughs> the me of, of 20 years ago is... <laughs> desperately would have it would have been so uh helped by the internet uh, and the online archives available today it's kind of mind-blowing yeah. i probably could have found the same information in 30 minutes at the through the um, you know our uh, newspaper archives that are available online that it took me an entire week to find back then so. yeah
1: it, it so i just i want to take back what i said earlier about. Uh, Bing doing stuff to Twitter uh, that, that Google didn't. Because I just looked up Sturtle, the <laughs> that particular LRFMSTRDL, which, by the way, was something in Mad Magazine in the early 60s. There's a line where somebody said, I, I, I stalked and killed a Lerfmstertl in my dreams. And, <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and I stalked and killed a Lerfmstertl and didn't know how to spell it. And of course, it, it's a series of consonants. And I use that on purpose, I think in a blog, it may have been on Twitter also, uh, just, to, just for this test. And I come up empty on both of those. Let me try Dr. Go. It's disappeared. It's completely
0: disappeared. Yeah.
1: Um, so, so- yeah, it's disappeared. And I know it exists. I know I put it there. It, it was a thing. Your history is being erased, Doc. Yeah. It, and it's, it's not even erased. It doesn't exist. You know, I mean, it's, Pretty it's, like, it's de-existed. I mean, it's, it's a whiteboard. I mean, and, and the truth is, you know, the internet, I guess, well, the internet itself is not a thing. It's just, it's just a protocol really at at the base level. But um, our, it was kind of an illusion on our part that this was a, wh- you know, that we, we thought it was a library and it turned out to be a whiteboard, you know, and, right now it's turning into a bunch of commercial whiteboards, you know, and they're
0: whiteboard with ads. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, it's well, a,
0: ads on post-its.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a, you know, subscriber only set of whiteboards and that's, that's the deal. Uh, and it's not, it's, you know, but, but again, it goes back to, and if we try to loop back to where we started on this is there's, there's the sense, you know, we had a bunch of pioneers that that could squat in the woods of somewhere in, in the Louisiana Purchase and feel um you know like they you know were are fully independent right um you know this is the reason why people went to Alaska I' <laughs> say so they could do that then, and uh you know one could get into a libertarian paranoid place here. Or just a libertarian place nothing wrong with that but that's that but that the kind of non-political libertarian angle on the net you know the the, you know everything the free software foundation was about you know in the first place it still is you know that you're using your own server not other people's stuff you know you want freedoms for other people so use a license that carries that freedom um
2: my question is yeah, um, yeah. It all boils down to ownership. Is as soon as our conversation yeah. is done, who owns our conversation? Is it Zoom,
1: or is it us,
0: or is it Fireside, or, 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 or our can, Podcast? Or can,
1: it be, or can it be owned? I mean, you know, I mean, that's
0: once it's that, out there, it's out there. We can't ever take it back.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's or, or 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 it just goes away. I mean, I mean, let's say we, you we know, we put these up, destroy, it, uh, destroy this podcast. Just destroy this podcast. I mean, you know, I mean, this recording. Oh, well, there we
0: have our title. (laughs) People do that. I mean, you know,
1: I, I have three or four different apps that do podcasts and I haven't figured out on any of them easily how to get rid of the old shit, you know? And, and on top of that, some of them just want me to use the cloud live. To me, it's not even a podcast. The whole idea with a podcast is you download it originally, right? Because it was like going to be on your iPod. That was the idea of the podcast. An iPod was a storage device. But our phones now, we don't have iPods anymore. The, the phones are, are more streaming devices than, than storage devices. I mean, why? Unless you're shooting video, and if you're living off the cloud, do you really need a, a 256 or a 512 gigabyte um, storage on that thing? Probably not. Right.
0: I can film. I seem to be able to film mine up. pretty.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. What, what are you doing? Now? How are I don't you doing... know. It's
0: probably video and photos. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Well, I
1: could do it with photos. I mean, I, I, and I, I'm not cause I haven't figured out how to do it on photos. I mean, with an iPhone, I, I, mean, it, it, I mean, this is how bad off I am. I, I, I understand the iPhone very well, fairly well. I also have an Android um, and I don't understand it well enough to know how I can go further into it without getting into the hell that I have on my iPhone right
0: huh. well, that's that's a, really,
1: I mean, that sounds we, like we're, our we're, next
0: topic <laughs> Yeah,
1: could, that could be it you know our next topic is to you know avoid the hell and the hell is basically that it it's all I mean I've got I have you know five terabytes of photos um, and I have you know a few gig, gigabytes of videos I'm not a, as much a video guy
0: No. Yeah so um so petros do you have any final thoughts for us also don't forget to remind everyone where they can find you when you aren't here talking to us
2: yeah oh, and that, by that
0: i mean your site
2: oh yeah yeah that's that's uh thank you for bringing that up uh, i usually post uh although the last week uh because of my travels it it just um i hadn't gotten the opportunity but i usually post over at com. k o u T-O-U-P-I-S dot com. And I usually focus on a lot of uh, retro or even storage and virtualization, you know, uh, technology topics. That's my exciting world, my exciting life. It just is. blogging, blogging about random stuff. Uh, it is.
0: It's good stuff, though. All I ever knew about containers, I learned from I, I just, I just, I just <laughs> went to...
1: So it's just, it's just, it's just katupas.com. Yeah. Cause I, I, uh,
2: there is, there is a com, but that's, I own both domains, uh, but the com, you know, has just a list of all my pub- publications and stuff, you know, stuff that I see that, that, uh, some folks may not carry care about, especially if, uh, mm-hmm. even more so if, uh, Linuxjournal.com disappears anytime soon because uh, a good chunk of that content uh, <laughs> redirects to Linux Journal's website. I yeah. i will have to load up
0: your, your articles, I guess.
1: No, I'll just have to link to archive.org.
0: Uh, or that,
1: yeah. Yeah. I wish, I mean, archive.org was more um, searchable. That's another a topic for another time. A topic or maybe for just another a, time. We just get Brewster on here and then uh, and grill it. Yes,
0: there we go. The thing. Well, cool. Well, thank you, Petros, as always. Thank you. For joining uh, us. I think we've covered all too. sorts of things. Maybe
1: We uh, did. It was a good one. It um, was really a good one.
0: Cool. Well, thanks. Until next time.